0: Well, I'm not Scott Gilmore, (laughs) but I will attempt to read this passage. I'm not sure where Scott is this morning. Perhaps he's downstairs. Let us pray and ask God to illumine our hearts and minds as we read this passage. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause now in our worship to turn to this, your holy inspired word that you have taught many over the centuries, indeed over the millennia, to put to pen and to papyrus, and skin, and to metal, and other materials as well, so that it might be passed down through the ages to us this day. We thank you for this word, and be with us now as we read and attempt to understand all the meaning that is packed therein for us this morning. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Listen now to the word of the Lord, Psalm 111 found on page 646 of your Pew Bible. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Thanks be to God for this reading from his holy word. Amen. Well, would you turn with me
1: in your Bibles to Luke five? We're going to be starting in verse seventeen. That's page ten ninety five in your pew Bible. Uh, you know, sometimes you start reading a passage in Scripture and uh, it doesn't. You think you understand it, and then something happens, and you don't quite get it. And uh, that's that's kind of like our, our passage today. It doesn't doesn't all make sense until we get to the end of it? You know, it's like the rosebud in Citizen Kane or Signs, where where the wife is. As she's dying, she's saying all these things that don't make sense. Or when I tell you that I stabbed somebody once, none of that's going to make sense to you until we get to the end of the story. Uh, I will tell you more about when I stabbed someone, but um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke 5, starting in verse 17, and we're going to go from there. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you use your word to work in our hearts? Holy Spirit, uh, change us and cause us to be more like Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the story opens in Luke chapter 5. Jesus has already gone around. He's been doing some, some healing. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching the people. And so here we have it in verse 17. We start, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So already to start, we see Jesus. He's doing the, the thing that he, he already has been doing a lot, sitting down, teaching the people. People would come from all over to hear him because he could teach with authority. When Jesus said, this is what it means, that's what it meant, he knew. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who so often would have to say, well, I think it might be this or it could be that, and they're arguing about it all the time. So people would come to hear someone teach with authority. But he also would often have uh, his teachings accompanied by miraculous healing or uh, freeing people from demonic possession. So if you had someone that you loved who was sick, you would take them as far as you had to, to get them in front of Jesus. Well, the text kind of sets us up to see something like that happen. It says right there, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So what do we expect to see happen next? We expect somebody's going to come, and Jesus is going to heal him. So look further, verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, which is confirming what we're already thinking, he's going to heal him. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus so now we see, here comes, kind of like we expected. Here comes this man who's paralyzed, and his friends are bringing him. It doesn't say how he was paralyzed. doesn't say how long he was paralyzed. It doesn't tell us how many friends are there or why they want so desperately for him to be healed. But I've got to tell you, that's the kind of friendship I think that I want to have, where my friends are going to stop at nothing to get me in front of Jesus and to where I trust them with my life. Well, at this point, Jesus is teaching in a house, rather than a synagogue and so he's in the house and the roofs were were built a little differently you could pull stuff away and so uh, the paralyzed man's friend seeing that there's no way to get him in there you've heard the story i'm sure they, they go up to the top they begin to take things away now i bet if i were him i'd be a little nervous you're taking me to the roof you remember i can't jump down there right No, no 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 that's fine we brought a rope a rope no way But he trusts them anyway. And they start to peel away the layers. Now, if you're in there, I'm sure it was making a lot of noise. I'm sure you could hear them as they started to peel away the layers of the roof, as the dust started to fall down and scatter the the light. I don't know what people were thinking. maybe Jesus stopped teaching. Maybe he watched. I don't know. But people were probably confused until they see this man who's paralyzed, lowered down with a rope and sat right in front of Jesus. And when that happens, you all know why he's there. It's as if to say, Jesus, heal this man. We already expect it. And then we read what comes next. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And it's like that moment in those movies it doesn't make sense seems to actually start working against the story because so far we've been expecting that this paralyzed man is going to get up and walk and all of a sudden Jesus looks at him and he says your sins are forgiven you. I wonder what people were thinking. How do you think the paralyzed man felt? How do you think his friends felt? Do you think they were mad? You think they were thinking to themselves, Jesus, we came all this way so that he could walk, not so you could make him feel better about himself. Do you think the paralyzed man was disappointed? I thought I would walk. I thought I would go jumping and leaping out of here. I thought I would dance. I thought I would have a life now. But after everyone else that Jesus has healed, I'm going to go away with the same broken body that I have been stuck in for so long well, if that's what they were thinking, and I don't know what they were thinking, but if that's what they were thinking, isn't that exactly what you would expect to hear someone saying if that happened today, in this day and age, in our culture? Because that's exactly what we do. We don't take sin very seriously. We rationalize it. We come up with our own list of what are acceptable sins and what's not. That's how we end up thinking that it's wrong to steal, but it's okay to be greedy that it's wrong to murder, but it's okay to have angry outbursts, that it's wrong to be prejudiced as long as they, whoever they happen to be, don't move into my neighborhood. But if we don't acknowledge sin as sin, then how can we know it's forgiven? We have to call sin what it is because sin is the disease that most needs healing. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. That's what Jesus knows. Looking at this man... He knows that that is the disease that most needs the healing. If a doctor has a patient come in complaining of headaches, but inside there's a cancer eating away at their body, and the doctor knows that, and he says, here, take this it'll make your headaches better, and sends them off without doing anything for the cancer, he's not a very good doctor, and he hasn't really done that person any favors, has he? Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He sees this man and he sees him as he is and he sees the real disease that's eating away at this man. And in this moment, the paralyzed man receives the healing that he probably didn't know he needed. The healing of the soul. The healing that will last beyond the grave. And although to many in our culture this doesn't make sense, if we have a realistic view of humanity and of sin... We know that all of us are born broken into a broken world and only God can fix it. How about you? What have you done or failed to do that you know grieves God? What have you done or failed to do that you need to hear Jesus say, friend, your sins are forgiven? But you know, when I read this story, do you know who I tend to identify with? It's obviously not Jesus. I can't heal anybody. Uh, sometimes it's the friends because I can rational, rationalize sin like anyone else. But now, when I read this story, I tend to identify with the Pharisees. Look at verse 21. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, now they're, they're actually half right. Although Jesus isn't speaking blasphemy, only God can forgive sins. He holds in his hands the law and the order of the universe. And when we sin, although our sin will probably affect someone else, the Bible says that ultimately when we sin, we are rebelling against God and his law. And only he has the authority to pardon us. And so the Pharisees look at Jesus and they say, you can't forgive his sins. That's blasphemy. And they doubt his authority to forgive. They don't believe he has the ability. They don't think he can. And that's why sometimes I find myself identifying with the Pharisees. Because even though I know in my mind, I know that Jesus is Lord sometimes I look at my life and I think, God, you could never forgive that, really. You could never forgive that, could you? When I was in middle school and uh, in, living in Waco, Texas, we, uh, I had a, a friend lived across the street. He was a neighbor. We're walking along. We're uh, don't ask why we were rolling a tire down the road. I really don't know. I don't know how we got a tire. I don't know why we were rolling it through the neighborhood. I don't remember why we were arguing. I don't remember why. I was such a weird kid. I used to always carry like two or three knives on me. I don't think my parents knew, but they're going to be downstairs, so they'll find out if they didn't know. Um, and I was mad, and I th- I, he's rolling the tire, and I thought, I'm just going to stab that tire, put my knife right through it. I don't know if it was a point of emphasis or what, but his hand got in the way. That's when I stabbed somebody and pulled the knife back. We looked at each other. He looked at me, and I'm looking at him like, I can't believe what just happened. And then he realized what just happened. He starts crying. I'm crying. And he goes running off. I'm like, I got like one minute or less to get out of here. So I started running. I took off. There were some woods over in that, that neighborhood just had a road going through them, no, you know, no houses or anything, and I ran off into the woods, and guys, in my middle school, hyper-emotional, not thinking realistically about anything mind, I thought, this is it. I'm done. It's over. Nobody could ever forgive me. I'm going to get grounded, or I'm going to get killed, or I'm going to go to prison. I don't, know what, I don't know what happens in all this, but I'm done. And thankfully, I was too much of a chicken, because at that moment, I wanted to die. I had a knife. I was a chicken, and so I was like, there are rattlesnakes out here somewhere, I'm sure. I'll just find a snake, I'll get bit. Then I won't have to go through all this. But I thought, nobody, nobody can ever forgive me for what I've done. Ryan can't forgive me. His parents can't forgive me. My goodness, my parents can't forgive me. Until my mom heard me crying. And she was walking on that road, and she came and found me. And she grabbed me. And she loved me. And she forgave me. Uh, there were a lot of consequences to what I did, but she forgave me. But we all do that. We all look at our lives. We see something we've done and we think, oh, Lord, you could never forgive that. When in reality, he can. See, and Jesus showed it here. And he showed that that thing that we really need, forgiveness, Jesus doesn't always heal the way we want him to. He doesn't always heal the way we expect him to. But forgiveness, healing of our sin, that is available immediately, anytime, anywhere, for anyone. You can have it. You can have that healing from Jesus. And when he forgives, he truly forgives. It's real. He takes off those filthy rags. He puts his own jacket around you. And he truly And really forgives. But he knows that we're doubters, doesn't he? And he knows what the Pharisees are thinking. And look at what he does next. In verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He knows we doubt. He knows we're weak. He knows what the people in that room are thinking. It's easy to say, your sins are forgiven, but are they really forgiven? And Jesus says, let me show you what kind of power I have. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And he does. And he says, I want you to know I have the power to do this. And you know what? He did the same thing greater later on. See, we doubt. We doubt that He can forgive us. We don't always believe it. But then He went to the cross. And then He showed us an empty tomb. And He gave the greatest sign that this world has ever seen to show us that the Son of Man has the power and the authority To forgive sins. And you know what that means? If you believe in the cross, you have to believe in his forgiveness. If you're going to doubt the cross, you have to doubt his forgiveness. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes we don't want that forgiveness. We don't really want to accept it. Because if Jesus can go and he can die and he can take what we deserve and then he can rise again from the grave, he can ask us to do anything. And he does. Because now that we've been forgiven, we have to forgive. Do you remember that part in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Well, in Matthew, do you know what Jesus says right after that? He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In Colossians, it says, bear with each other. (coughs) Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There is something about accepting the forgiveness of Christ that means now we have to do the same. That's the call on us. That's the response that we have to make to the sacrifice that Jesus has made is now we are expected to go and live as he did, to go and forgive as he forgave what does that forgiveness look like? I heard the story of a man named Jamil McGee and Andrew Collins. Andrew Collins is the one on your right. Andrew Collins was a cop and he woke up one day and he said, I'm going to get another drug bust today. And so he went out and he found someone and he got a drug bust. Only problem is there weren't any drugs there. And so Jameel, the man on the left, ended up in prison for four years. He lost everything. And he said, when it finally got out, when it finally all came to light, and Andrew ended up serving time as well for what he had done, when it all finally came to light and Jamil got out, he said, I couldn't wait to find him, and I just wanted to hurt him. Well, the Lord intervened. And the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor, I think. Because one day, they both ended up at the same place. It was a faith-based agency to help people find work and to gain new work skills and to find a different job than they'd had before. Because after tarnishing, and after tarnishing the reputation of the police in his area, Andrew was there. After getting out of prison, Jamil was there. And look what they did. They ran into each other. And Andrew looked at him and he said, I have no explanation. Except I have to tell you that I'm sorry. And what I did was wrong. And Jamil looked at him and he said, I forgive you. And now they go around telling people about this forgiveness and this reconciliation that's happened. But do you know why? Because they're both Christians. And they both look at the gospel. And Jamil looked at the gospel. And he sees, forgive as the Lord forgave you. He says, I have to forgive him. And now these guys... Our best friends forgive as the Lord forgave you but we lose sight of the cross because we're too focused on what someone else has done to hurt us and we refuse to let it go and so you might be thinking you don't know what she did to me she was my sister and she betrayed me look at Jesus on the cross dying for those who betrayed him or you might be thinking I can't forgive them they took the promotion that I deserve. Look at Jesus on the cross, dying for those who so often take the glory that He deserves. You might be thinking, "But he was my dad, and he abandoned me." Look at Jesus on the cross, dying for those who abandon him. We have to forgive. Have you suffered abuse? Have you been bullied? Have you been betrayed? We have to forgive. Maybe it's just the day-in, day-in irritation of living with each other and of being in relationship with each other. We have to forgive. It doesn't mean you allow yourself to keep getting hurt or abused again. And again, if you're in an abusive relationship, get out. But you will have to do the hard work of forgiveness that in your heart... We will all have to begin that process of letting go of the anger, letting go of the desire to make someone feel what we felt, letting go of the desire to go hurt somebody because of what they've done. Let the Lord be the judge. Your forgiveness might need a face-to-face interaction. Maybe you need to write a letter, but probably don't send it. But get, get that out there. Name it. Maybe you need to work through something with a counselor who'll be in confidence. But you have to forgive as the Lord forgave us. It's not a request. I wish it was. It's not a request. It's a command. But it's a command that Jesus himself obeyed. It's a command that he modeled for us and he infused it with power, with resurrection power when he forgave everyone who put him on a cross. Jesus forgives you. He forgives you. And he gave you a sign, a cross and an empty tomb. And now we have to go and forgive others. Let's pray. God, you have asked us to do what is impossible for us, Forgive those who have hurt us. But Jesus, you've given us the power. You went on the cross and you forgave us. You forgave those who betrayed you like we betray you. You forgave those who take your glory like we take your glory. You forgave those who abandon you like we sometimes abandon you. You forgave us (laughs) and you love us. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with the power that it takes to forgive as you forgave. Amen.